Well, good morning, everyone. I nailed it. I'm going to give Steve his phone back. I'm a pulpit guy. (laughs) I always mess it up because during COVID, we kept switching the times of our services. So in the afternoon, I'd say good morning. In the morning, I'd say good afternoon. So off on a good good note here. Uh, Just to give you a little bit more of an idea of where I come from. My name is Trenton Walker. I'm from Ontario. Oh, yeah, getting the camera. I'm I'm from Ontario, southwest of Toronto and... uh, about 11 years ago, I moved to Quebec uh, to be on mission with my wife, Lorianne, who grew up in Belay. She's from Quebec. Uh, and we, for nine years, we were working in a nonprofit called Child Evangelism Fellowship and uh, working in like all over the city, the South Shore, uh, just helping churches build like ministry programs for their kids. And that's really how I like learned a lot in ministry. But then I saw God calling me towards uh, church ministry and it's through Church 21 that I became uh, a pastoral apprentice and that's what brings me here today. And I really appreciate the welcome that this opportunity uh, to preach this morning. I'm just gonna fix this just a little bit so it's more at my height. All right. Uh, so yeah, we're in Mark, and uh, from what I understand, you are actually following the, the exact same uh, series uh, each week, the same verses of the same chapter that we are as well in Church 21. Uh, so this week we're falling into Mark 3, 7 through 21. Uh, and I just want to start things off by asking a question. Are there anyone, is there anyone here who is uh, following the Montreal Canadiens right now in the series? There's like a couple people. Okay, I need to make sure that this hits home for everyone. Right now, the Montreal Canadiens have made it to the series and they're in round two of the playoffs. So they're doing pretty well. Uh, and I am currently uh, a bandwagon fan of the Montreal Canadiens. And if you don't know what that means, it's basically, I don't care anything about like hockey at all throughout the whole year. And then I see that they make it to the series and I'm like, oh, this seems like a fun thing to watch, you know, my home team play in the series. In the, uh, so that is what I would call myself. I'm, a, I'm not there all season. I'm not rooting for them, but I show up like right at the end. And I know that bugs the real fans. So the people that like raise their hand that really are following really know they're like, you, you bandwagon fan. And so this, I say that because this passage, there's actually a link, you know, you know, introductions should have a link. There's actually a link because this passage is showing us what it looked like when people were hopping on the Jesus bandwagon. They were like, oh, Jesus is in town. Who's this guy? I want to show up. I want to see what's going on. But before we get into that, our passage actually starts with a day at the beach with Jesus. I don't know if you caught that when Steve read it, uh, but it says, Mark uh, chapter 3, verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And now the word withdrew uh, that Mark uses, he only uses one time in, in this whole gospel. Uh, but Matthew actually uses it many times. And when Matthew uses it, uh, it's for the purpose of um, just the referencing to a sense of withdrawal uh, to retreat for solitude. Okay, so they were going on a retreat for solitude at the beach. And uh, this is possibly what Jesus was doing here is, is inviting his disciples into Sabbath rest uh, at the beach. <laughs> uh, and what we saw last week in the passage is uh, Jesus was actually getting scrutinized by the religious leaders that he wasn't Sabbathing in a sense, in the way that they said he should or the, the culture said he should. Uh, and so when I was processing, like, what does it look like for me when I, when I take Sabbath rest? Uh, well, it's whatever 
makes me feel rested and relaxed at the end of the day? And it seems like the way Jesus was answering this question, what, what can make me feel rest and relaxed and, and you know, give life to my disciples? It seems to be that he wanted to get away from being harassed by religious leaders and spending a day at the lake. Uh, and so I know like, I don't wanna lose you. Now you're thinking like, yeah, it is a nice day. We could go to Oka Beach or whatever. No, stay with me uh, because there's something interesting here. Uh, I, we always want to look at the intentionality of Jesus as he's leading his disciples. And Mark, the whole purpose of Mark is to present Jesus as the Messiah and to show us what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And so Jesus is very intentional because the previous passages already place Jesus in Capernaum, which is the city that's on the sea. So for an intentional time together where they could have that rest and solitude, Jesus wanted to get out of the city. So for him, spending a day down at the old port, that wasn't, that wasn't sufficient. He needed to travel out and to be in a place where they could have quality time together without the chance of being disturbed. However, this was not the case. Uh, and we, I'll, I'll go back to the, the verses we read in a minute, but just to, to remind you. But despite Jesus' efforts to remain out of the spotlight, uh, and despite serious opposition from religious leaders just wanting like no one to know about Jesus, like, just to stop the ministry right there and then, he is drawing a crowd from an extremely significant geographical area. Uh, before preparing this sermon, I was reading through the verses and uh, it had been months since I'd looked at a map of Israel. Okay, maybe like years, I don't know. It's, who goes and looks at maps of Israel like on their free time? So I was reading this and I realized that these references to places meant like very little to me. So I had to like take time to study so I could actually share with you what it, what it really means. So... In Mark uh, 3, uh, 7 through 9, it says, And a great crowd followed from Galilee to Judea and Jerusalem to Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And so, like, if you, like me, haven't looked at a map of Israel for a while, those are just weird names of places and that mean nothing. Uh, and so I want to remind you, uh, which I'm sure you, you're already aware of this, that Mark, he uses very few words to accomplish a lot in his communication. So he, what he's trying to accomplish, like I just said previously, is that he's presenting Jesus as the Messiah and that Jesus is calling you to be a disciple of him. Uh, and so there's a reason that in, few, in the few words that he does use, he would list these locations. So I had to be like, what is it? And so I looked at like what it, I looked at a map of Israel. I looked at what it would look like to, to, to see all these places grouped into like, um, Jesus drawing a crowd from all these places, and it was actually pretty crazy. And so I wanted to give you a reference to something we could know from Quebec uh, without considering like the population size and density, just like the geographical distance. So imagine we're in Trois-Rivières, okay? That's right between Montreal and Quebec City, okay? Now, Jesus was drawing a crowd to that location in, in reference, like what, what I'm sharing with you, from basically Montreal and Quebec, Quebec City and everything in between. So for like there's, from one end to the other, it was over 230 kilometers. And so he's in the middle, he's drawing a crowd from all these neighboring cities. And that's, that's, that's significant. Basically overnight, Jesus has become the biggest celebrity ever ever known. <laughs> this is not happening. People are not drawing crowds from like, ex, um, like immense geographical areas like this. And on top of that, there was a diversity in the crowd that was extremely unheard of. There was, um, there was a Jew-Gentile mix in the crowd. 
And this is actually showing that the reach of Jesus's ministry was all-encompassing. So it's like, when I read that that first time, I'm like, I did not get this, but it's worth the time to study to see what Mark is trying to reveal to us here. And it's actually, he's pointing to a prophecy of Isaiah that's being fulfilled. Uh, Isaiah 49.6 says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. All right, and so just to unpack that really quick for you is Jesus is reaching the tribes of Jacob and the Israelites and that, that's not enough. That's too small a task. He is being sent by God. His ministry is, is intended to have a global impact. And so this is beginning evidence that Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy by bringing people from this extensive of a geographical area. And then also Mark's words here, he's following up on something he just said uh, earlier on in the book when he quoted John the Baptist. He's saying what John the Baptist said is true. And John the Baptist in Mark 1, 7, I'll just remind you, he said, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. So Mark, uh, Mark is saying, like, see this crowd Jesus is drawing? It's proving that John the Baptist was, was saying something that was true. It's fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. And just to give you a, a reference for John the Baptist, his ministry, it seemed pretty significant in the time. And he was drawing crowds from Jerusalem to Judea. And so to give you a reference again, that's like saying Point Claire to Montreal Est, okay? Point Claire to Montreal East versus Montreal to Quebec City. There's a huge difference. And so as we look, like this is the crowd that's gathering. There's thousands of people from, like, that have traveled a long distance to see Jesus. And then it, it makes us ask the question, why? Why is the crowd gathering? So again, Mark is pointing to Jesus as the promised Messiah but is this why the crowd was gathering? Because they, they, they were starting to realize, maybe this is the Messiah. We want to go see him. Uh, and it seems clear that they were there for what Jesus could do and not for who he was. And so we'll get into that. But uh, just uh, over the past couple months, um, Dwight Bernier, one of the pastors in Church 21, him and I were, were talking together about the gifts of the Spirit. And we were discussing that while the Holy Spirit could allow us to like heal on demand, to like walk on water and do like extremely supernatural things that no one has ever seen. He likely wouldn't if it meant that crowds would start gathering and like uh, Place Jacques-Cartier and everything like that just for the show because of what we were doing and not because of who these actions were pointing to. So Jesus in his ministry, being full of compassion, being led by the spirit, he had been healing people, uh, but then this indirectly was drawing huge crowds of people that just wanted to be healed. And they were bringing loved ones because they wanted their loved ones to be healed. And so we continue reading uh, and we actually see the attitude of the crowd just described here in Mark. Uh, and that's Mark 3, 9 through 10. And I'll read that. When the great crowd had heard all the things he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For, uh, for he had healed many so that all who, were disease, who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. So this crowd really wanted to get to Jesus, and it was to the point that they didn't mind if they crushed him, it seems. And it made me think of a concert that I went to with my wife, Lorianne, uh, a, a few years ago. Uh, it was Thousand Foot Crutch. Does anyone know that, that band, a Christian rock band? Anyways, 
It was, they were amazing. And we got to go see a concert. And I guess if I'm being honest, it wasn't a couple years ago. It was like several years ago. Anyways, we can leave that aside. And we had arrived early enough to, to weave our way through just the early arrivers to get our place pretty close to the stage. Uh, and we were very excited because we had like a great like, you know, front stage position to see the, the band play. Uh, but then they started playing and like the rest of the crowd had arrived. And when they started playing, what happened is others wanted to join in on the front row action. And if you've been to like any rock concert, you can just uh, relate to what this would be like. But the thing is, it was not possible for the people at the back of the crowd to be at the front because there's like a metal railing and there's no space and there's people there already. <laughs> and so what happens is like we start getting crushed. Uh, and I'm a big enough guy that I was trying to create like a bubble to, to protect Lori so that she wouldn't get like claustrophobic or like too crushed. But it was, it was only working up until the point that the pressure of so many people behind me on every side of me like literally lifted me off my feet and I just started floating towards the front. And that was, that was really like in, incredible experience and not incredible for Lori because what started to happen is that she was like panicking. She felt like she was gonna get crushed. She felt claustrophobic and it ended up her asking the security guards to let her get over the metal uh, railing and being escorted to the back of the crowd and just sit in the, in the grandstands. Uh, and what happened here is that the crowd, they didn't care about the people in the front. They just cared about themselves. And it seems to be in our passage, the same thing that's happening. They, the crowd had gathered to be healed by Jesus and they cared so much about what Jesus could do. They didn't care about who he was. And then I wanna go even further to think about like the selfishness of the crowd in a sense, that if Jesus was at risk of being crushed, then think of the sick people that were also close to the front, like that were being crushed and in danger of being crushed in that sense. Uh, and so events like this, Mark is being very strategic in including these, these words, these few words to accomplish a lot, to build attention uh, as we read, and we are supposed to be asking the question, who is Jesus? We're supposed to be answering that question for ourselves. And so there's several, people, several groups of people that are represented in the crowd. Okay, I'm gonna work through those, but there's also a group that we've heard of in like previous uh, verses and chapters. And so that there, there were those who just believed that Jesus was lying. In response to this question, who is Jesus? There were those who believed Jesus was lying. And so last week and weeks before, we, we heard about how the religious leaders were getting angry because of the claims that Jesus was making. And they believed that it was blasphemy. He was getting too close to presenting himself as God. Uh, and so in a sense, they were just saying, he can't be, so he's a liar. So there's that first group of people that just believed that Jesus was lying. Then there were those who didn't care. Okay, and that seems harsh, but when we look at the crowd that saw that there was a way that Jesus could meet their needs uh, and they were there for their own reasons, wanting to be healed or even hoping family members could be healed or even just being there to see people get healed and observe and be part of the action. They believed that Jesus could meet the needs but they had no consideration for who Jesus was. So they were in a sense indifferent to the who and only cared about the what. So that second group of people are those who just didn't care. Then there were those who declared Jesus's identity. Those who saw Jesus and outright declared, you are the son of God. How can that happen? Well, in Mark, it, he wrote it, he explains. It says in Mark 3.11, and whenever unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them to make, uh, not to make him known. 
And so these unclean spirits in this passage are referring to demons or fallen angels, as we would know, and they know Jesus. The, the, the passage that we see here, we, they're acknowledging him as the son of God. And this is the only other time so far in Mark that anyone acknowledges Jesus for who he really is uh, be, besides the father when Jesus was baptized. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then we see unclean spirits, demons saying, you're the son of God. So Mark is highlighting the fact that the demons are submitting themselves before Jesus, proclaiming uh, who he is. And that, the purpose of that is to build growing proof to the reader that Jesus is the Messiah. And so these demons, they know Jesus because they were with him before they rebelled against God. So they see him on earth. They know he has authority. They have no choice as inferior spiritual beings than to just throw themselves on the floor and submit to, to him, albeit unwillfully. And so these unclean spirits know that they have previously rejected Jesus. And when we see here in the passage that Jesus is silencing them, what Jesus isn't thinking in his head, oh, you've got the wrong guy here. Shush, don't, like, don't call me that. No, Jesus knows that there's growing tension uh, and God's plan for making himself known as the Messiah needs to be on God's terms. And so when these unclean spirits must acknowledge the authority of Jesus, they're likely using this as an opportunity to identify Jesus on their terms. And so in his authority over all dominions, all principalities, Jesus silences these unclean spirits. But this is really interesting to take the time to look at, at that building proof of who Jesus was from many different perspectives. Um, a following group, we didn't get to this uh, reading in the passage, and I'll read it to you. There was a group of people that believed that Jesus was crazy. He was a lunatic. He was going insane. He, he had been insane, and then he became unsane. Uh, and it was, this perspective comes from the group that you mo might least expect. And so in the midst of all the commotion, crowds following Jesus to be healed, uh, Jesus was not even getting the chance to eat, and his own family came up to him and said, you're crazy. Like, we need to do an intervention. And so Mark 3, 20 through 21 says, And then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out and seized him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. This is interesting because this is evidence that blood relationship or even close relationship to Jesus does not equal faith and belief in who he was and what he was doing. And so what's happening here is, like I joked about, but it's basically the equivalent of the family stepping in and doing an intervention. And what it becomes is yet another hindrance to Jesus's ministry. There's the religious leaders that are plotting against him. There's the crowds that are showing up so that he, he can't even eat, he can't do anything. And then his family is seizing him and saying like, you're crazy, you have to stop this. Um, but then we're, we've, come, we've come to our last group of people. There was one last group. There were those who believed. Okay, so one group in the crowd were the disciples of Jesus who were there to learn uh, and serve Jesus. And they were starting to realize, or they had already come to the realization of who he was. They were just maybe not ready to say it, but in their hearts they were starting to believe. And they had joined him for their day away at the beach, <laughs> but it didn't end up becoming that because it had been interrupted. And what did they do? They were diligently serving Jesus. He had asked them to do one thing specifically in this passage, and it was to go find a boat to have it ready so that he could escape if, if needed, if the crowd got out of hand. And what was happening for these, this group of people who believed is that they were witnessing things that were just bringing more and more clarity to what they were already starting to believe, that Jesus was truly the Messiah. 
And so all of this brings us to a point of asking, Mark is asking you a question. So I'm going to present the question. Who do you believe Jesus is? Have you considered that you fall into one of these categories that I just described? I'll list them again. You believe that Jesus is a liar. You are indifferent to who Jesus is, but you want to show up. You want to observe. You want to see what he can do for you. You know in your heart that he is who he says he is, but you reject him. You think he's a lunatic, you think he's crazy, and this is just all the words of a lunatic and people have just been preaching it for 2,000 years, or you believe, receive, and you follow him. You're in one of those categories. And so answering this question is extremely important because in the crowd, in all this, this passage, there's only one group of people that Jesus calls out to follow him. Out of the masses, only a few. In Mark 3, 13 through 17, we see Jesus, uh, and I'll just read it here. And he went up into the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, so that they might be with him, and, they might, uh, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, Simon, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Apheus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So Jesus calls out of the crowd a group of people who were there because of who he was and not what he was doing. And at first, when I saw that Jesus went up to the mountain, I thought that Jesus was trying to like get a, you know, get a second chance on that Sabbath day away, that day of rest. Uh, but as I was studying the text and uh, some commentaries, it actually turns out that the mountains is, are, is the place that people would go to make plans that they wanted private. They didn't want anyone listening in. And so Jesus was actually taking the disciples up into the, the mountains to, to plan for something that would change the world. And other people might call it a revolution. And that's like in those days, that's where, the, that's where it would happen. People would go up into the mountains and that's where revolutions would start. But Jesus, he called, the call he made to the disciples was not because of their merit. But it was, just so you know, like it was normal custom in those days that a young man would in a sense, apply to study under a rabbi. Uh, so a similar like, comparison in our days would be applying to university or colleges. And often you might even know a professor and you're like, I want to study under him. So that's what it would look like in those days. So it was outside of the cultural norm for Jesus to actually call people, to recruit people, to, to study under him. Uh, but he was calling and they came to him. So they answered this call. And what's happening here is that Jesus is creating a community and a work around who he was. And so he knows that they're going to come and study under him, learn from him, and then be sent out to continue the work that he was preparing them for. So that's why it says he gave them the authority uh, to preach, to cast out demons. Uh, and so what we see here is that Jesus was calling the disciples to join him in restoring the world, to be in relationship with God. And so that's God's plan. God his plan was that Jesus would return to heaven and that his ministry would continue and that the 12 disciples would call more people to, to, to study under Jesus, in a sense. They, they would proclaim the name of Jesus. And in this way, the good news of the salvation of Jesus Christ would spread across every nation, every tongue, uh, and every tribe, and that it would still be preached over 2,000 years later and would be changing lives today. And so when Jesus called these 12 disciples, uh, in, in the words of Isaiah, Jesus was calling these disciples uh, to be made as lights for the nation so that the salvation in Jesus may reach the ends of the earth. And so 
as we're processing who do we say Jesus is, then there's the follow-up. Where do you fit in, right? Because maybe you're, you're listening today and you, you've thought, well, you know what? Uh, I think I fit in to, I'm like one of the 12 in the crowd. I'm there because of who Jesus is, because uh, like the 12, they, they were believing that Jesus was the Messiah and they knew that that meant that they would give up the rest of their lives uh, to serve his purposes and not their own. And that's true, that the, the purpose of Mark's writing is to present Jesus as the Messiah, to show what it means to become a disciple, and for us to respond like that. But the reality is that we're really not like the 12. We're more like the crowd. Because we wrestle with the questions uh, like, is all of what the Bible teaches actually true? Or we experience indifference and we don't care about who Jesus is. Uh, it's more often we care about what Jesus can do for us. Uh, or maybe we believe Jesus is who the Bible says he is, but we reject him anyways in our hearts. Uh, or we like to explain things that we can't understand. We just explain it away by saying it's crazy. So we're a lot like those other groups. And this is why. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Bible teaches that you and I are sinners. We choose to pursue what we desire is good for us and reject what God says is good for us. And this isn't a surprise to God, okay? He has always had a plan to save us from our selfish selves. But it would take someone who is selfless. It would take someone who would have compassion when people were trampling over each other uh, to serve themselves. And it would take someone that would be okay with uh, missing meals and to care for those who are desperate for help, even if they would leave ungrateful and disinterested in who helped them. Jesus was selfless. And so in his selflessness, he obeyed God to the point of giving his life for you and me. The crowd of people almost crushing Jesus in hope of being healed is now offered eternal healing and restoration in relationship with God. And so it's never about the things that Jesus could do. It was about who he was and why he was doing them. He was pointing to God in all of his actions. And because of Jesus, you can be healed. When you look at your life, and you can, you can you just think about what it would look like for you to actually be fully healed of selfish, self-serving desires and be given a heart that cares about more than yourself. That's what Jesus is offering you. Because of who Jesus is, this is the life that he's calling those who believe and follow into. And so Jesus offers this gift of salvation to all who believe and receive. And when you receive the gift of salvation he offers you, he also gives you the Holy Spirit. And that helps you to mature and grow as a disciple of Jesus, to learn to walk in his ways instead of your own ways. And so I believe that this passage is asking us to answer the question of why did we show up today? Are you here because you believe Jesus is a liar and you just want to find more arguments against him? Are you here because you're indifferent to what, uh, who Jesus is, but you want him to serve you or observe what he can do for you? Do you know in your heart that what he's saying is true, but you reject it anyways? Or is it easier for you to just say that he's a lunatic, that he's crazy? And if that's where you are today, I want you to know that Jesus, he sees you and he cares for you. He saw the crowd and he had compassion 
on them, knowing that they were not there because of who he was. But Jesus selflessly gave his life uh, so that the crowd and so that you could be healed and receive salvation. So before you try to answer any other question you might be wrestling with as far as like what the Bible teaches, what, like what's the meaning of life, there's really one question that Mark is asking us to focus on and that you need to focus on, which is, will you believe and receive that Jesus is offering you salvation, true eternal healing? That's the only question you need to think about. And this, the answer is that when you do this, what's being offered is that you will have a restored relationship with God. And now I know that there are those, many that here today that do believe, that have received and are ready to follow Jesus. And so now what does it look like for you? Um, well, I can be the first to admit that in the last two years, uh, I've started to have to battle a little bit more against my own selfishness. Over the last two years, I, I started thinking things like, times are hard. These are my resources and I need them. Or this is my time and I need me time. Uh, and so I want you to invite, as I've invited in my own life, the Holy Spirit to change you to look more like Jesus. And, and to answer the question of what you're holding on to that Jesus is asking you to give up for his glory. That Jesus, he wants you to answer his call. He started with the call with 12 disciples and, and then they stepped out of the crowd and they joined into his plans. And then he equipped those 12 disciples with specific gifts, gifts to build up the church so that ministry could continue. And he's calling you into that as well. That call has continued through the years to today. And so in a previous series, uh, we worked through the gifts of the Spirit. Is that correct for you as well over the past couple uh, months? Did you work through the gifts of the Spirit at all? Okay, that was one sermon series that we weren't in line with, with all of you. But um, the gifts of the Spirit were given so that we could serve the church and that we could edify the church. And then we have an opportunity to be answering the call that Jesus has given every time we show up to gather. And so what I wanna invite you to do is to gather as much as you can. We, we're here today, we heard about the, the prayer gathering. It's so important to show up and use your gifts. And then beyond that, those are specifically referring to like the spiritual gifts that God has given you for, for building the church and for edifying the church. But then you also have resources of time and money. And now Jesus, he's not showing up and saying, I want your time and your money. What he's saying is, I want your heart. And so when you give Jesus your heart, he becomes the most valuable thing to you. And you're going to find that you're investing your resources of time and money into things that have lasting, eternal impact. And so in Jesus, you, are, you like again, that, those words of the prophet Isaiah that applied to Jesus, that then Jesus called his disciples into, he's calling you into as well. He's saying that in Jesus, you can be made as a light for the nations and so that the salvation of Jesus may reach the ends of the earth. And so what does that look like today? Well, it means living your life to serve Jesus and the church as your only focus. It means being the light of Jesus in your work, in your neighborhood, in your home, in your family, and in your church community. And so the question I have in closing for you today is, if you believe in Jesus for your salvation, the question should not be, should I be involved in the work of the church? It is, how can I be involved in the work of the church? And what can Jesus do through me? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for these, uh, these words of Mark that are, are so um, well thought out, so clear, that go straight to the point and, and, and shoot straight to the heart. Uh, and God, I pray that you would, you would have our hearts. 
uh, that we would not be holding on to, to selfish desires, that we would be willing to answer the call that has come through all these generations to today to, to come out of the crowd, to leave those other groups of people who are there for their own reasons and be the ones that believe and follow and serve you, answer your call and make your name known in all nations and, make your, and, and, and continue to bring the light and the goodness of who you are into our neighborhoods, into our work, into our homes, and into our church community. Thank you, Jesus. That's, that's what you can do uh, in our lives. And so I just want to pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.